Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Well, good evening. Thanks for joining us this evening on Facebook Live. We had to cancel our in-person services tonight at Faith Fellowship Church because of icy roads and hazardous conditions. And there's a lot of freezing rain and some snow in some areas. And it's supposed to get colder as the night goes on. So as bad as it is now, I'm sure it would have been a lot worse when we got out of church. So we didn't want to put anybody in danger tonight because I know a lot of you would have come to church uh, for sure, and we didn't want to put you in that position. So I'm teaching from my home tonight in Taylorsville, Kentucky, and we're still teaching from Brother Hagen's book, The Authority of the Believer, or The Believer's Authority, and I believe this is part seven. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week when we were talking about the necessity of using the Spirit and the Word to exercise our authority. But before we go there, I want to bring your attention uh, back once again to, to at least two prayers that are in Ephesians and I believe when we first started out I asked you to pray these prayers at least the first prayer in, in chapter one on a regular basis uh, Brother Hagen recommends we do it three times a day for uh, three weeks and he says you get it in your spirit and you begin to see the fruit of that prayer coming to pass in your life so in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 is the first prayer Paul says, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. So Paul was praying for the Ephesian church. He's praying for the church in Freeport. He's praying for the church in Louisville and Chicago and every other church in the country and, matter of fact, in the world. And he says, uh, this is what he's praying, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us for who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and made him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And then if we go over to the third chapter of Ephesians, again, Paul is praying for the church, and he says, for this cause, in verse 14, chapter 3, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now those are just two of the Ephesian prayers. There's 
uh, something called the Pauline prayers or the prayers that Paul prayed throughout the epistles. And uh, that's another story, maybe another study for another night. But uh, if we just start out in Ephesians chapter 1 and, verse, and chapter 3 and get those prayers in our spirits, we'll, we'll begin to see them come into fruit in our own lives. We'll be, we'll be having a spirit of wisdom and revelation, revelation, and we'll learn what is the height, depth, deep, and width of the love of Christ that passeth all knowledge and understanding. Uh, how many knows it would be nice to know how much Christ loves us? We can't even comprehend it, but we can get a good idea of it by prayer, praying for that type of revelation. But anyway, let's get back to our lesson. The Bible says concerning the ministry of Jesus that he cast out spirits with the word of God. And it also says in another place that he cast out spirits with the spirit of God. So it was the word and the spirit working together or cooperating with each other that caused Christ the ability to cast devils out. And it's no different for us. We have to have the same thing going in our lives. We have to have the word and the spirit working for us. And in the 12th chapter of Matthew, this is interesting, but the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of casting out devils by Beelzebub. I, I just can't imagine how ridiculous this sounds because Beelzebub is the prince of the devil. And, uh, and basically what he's saying, in other words, is they were accusing Jesus of casting out Satan with Satan's power. You see how stupid that sounds? And, and those religious leaders, I want you to listen to me carefully now, those religious leaders were so blinded by their hatred for Christ that they were constantly saying and doing stupid things. Just think about that for a minute. And if I couldn't think of anything smarter than that, then I'd have just stayed home, I'll tell you the truth. But Jesus replied to him anyway. He says, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. So if Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? Do you see the common sense in that, that these religious leaders couldn't even comprehend? He says in verse 7, 27, And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of devils, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And what he's really saying is it come upon you unexpectedly. You didn't expect it to come. You didn't see it coming. And then in 29, he says, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder his house? Now, this is a verse of scripture that's been, I believe anyway, been misunderstood by a lot of people for a lot of years. But uh, many Christians believe uh, or at least think that Satan is the stronger man. I'm not saying he's not the strong man. He is the strong man in this story. But many Christians believe that he's the stronger man and he has to bind us before he can plunder our house. And there is some truth in that. I mean, if, uh, if he can't bind me, he's not plundering my house. But that can never work because it would imply that Satan is stronger than Christ from whom our authority comes from. And so, uh, although Satan does get people into bondage, it's not because he's stronger than them. 
it's because we've cooperated with him and we relinquished our authority to him. In other words, we didn't stand and take authority over him. So Satan is the stronger man, or the strong man in this story, but Christ is the stronger man. Christ is stronger than him. So how can he enter into the strong man's house and bind him unless he were the stronger of the two? And we know that Christ has bound Satan and Christ plundered his house. Uh, but if he casts out Satan by Satan, then that would be like you or me breaking into a strong man's house and getting the strong man to cooperate with us so that we can plunder his house. In other words, hey, here's a rope. Tie yourself up so I can rob your house and, and spoil your, your goods and plunder your house. I mean, you see how silly that is? And that's kind of what the uh, religious leaders were referring to here. So this proves that Christ is casting out devils, not by Satan, but by the Spirit and the Word of God. And if he didn't act by a more superior power to Satan, then he would have never been able to bind him and spoil his goods as he did. You know, he made a show of him openly, paraded him through the streets of hell and, and heaven and the earth, the three realms, and, and made a show of him openly. So we know that Christ was the stronger one. He bound Satan in his own realm, in his own house, and then plundered his house, took the keys of death and hell away from him. And uh, Isaiah 49, 24 through 26 says this, and this is some 600, 800 years before Christ even came on the scene. Isaiah says, who can snatch the plunder of war from the hands of a warrior or a strong man? Who can the man that a tyrant let his captives go? But the Lord says, the captives of warriors will be released and the plunder of tyrants will be retrieved. And for I will fight those who fight you and I will save your children. I will feed your enemies with their own flesh. They will be drunk with rivers of their own blood. All the world will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Israel. He's not a Mighty One. He is the Mighty One of Israel. And I believe Isaiah was uh, prophesying of the coming of Christ and what Christ was going to do through his ministry and his death on the cross and, and his resurrection. So Satan, the, old, the, the strong man in our story, he did overcome Adam, but he did it in a state of Adam's innocence. But Christ is stronger than Satan. He attacked Satan and took back the spoils that Satan stole from Adam. When, when Satan bound Adam and plundered his house, it was for the, the bodies and the souls of men. And so Christ took all of that back. So back to, to our, our passage of Scripture here in Ephesians, uh, verse 30 says, whoever, or in Matthew, verse 30 says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And once again, as I've been saying in, in several sermons in times past, not too long ago, as a matter of fact, we can plainly see that there is no middle ground concerning our commitment to the Lord. There's no fence. There's no straddling of fence. And uh, Jesus said, I would that you were hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I what spew you or puke you out of my mouth. And so we're either for him or we're against him. There's no middle ground. We either gather with him or we're scattering. So in verse 31, then he says, 
And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, it seems important to the Lord that he mentioned this in this uh, passage of Scripture here that we're reading. And then in verse 32, he says, Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So uh, I feel it necessary to camp here for at least a few minutes anyway and learn something about this because Jesus said that it's blasphemy to speak against the Holy Spirit. But what does blasphemy mean? I looked it up in the dictionary, and I'm going to spare you from all the things that it means because it was a long list, but it boiled down to about five or six things right at the end. And, and it's, it actually means ungodliness, unholiness, desecration, disrespect, and a lack of reverence. This is what you do when you blaspheme. You're, you're showing ungodliness, unholiness, desecrating something. You're, you're showing disrespect and a lack of reverence. And Jesus said, when you do this against the Holy Spirit or the things of the Holy Spirit, you will not be forgiven for it. But the biblical definition in its simply form is this. It's calling something holy evil or calling something evil holy. That's blasphemy in biblical style. And that's what Jesus is talking about here in verses 31 and 32. He says, you'll not be forgiven for calling a work of the Holy Spirit evil or calling an evil work of Satan holy. Now, here's another misconception. Uh, a lot of Christians believe that you'll go to hell for blasphemy. But I've not only looked at this particular passage of Scripture, but I've looked... Uh, in other places in the Bible, and I can't see that to be true anywhere. It doesn't say, and especially here, there's no evidence that you will go to hell for blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It simply says that you won't be forgiven. And uh, some people will say, well, if you're not forgiven, that means that if you die with that sin on your soul, well, no, uh, because Jesus uh, got all our sins forgiven. Every one of them who healeth all our diseases, who who forgiveth all our sins, who healeth all our diseases in uh, Psalms 103. So all of our sins, no matter what they are, including blaspheming the Holy Ghost, are under the blood. But this particular one won't be forgiven. Now, what exactly that means, I don't know. But it doesn't mean that you're going to go to hell. It would be a stretch for one to say that they would go to hell for blaspheming. And that's why I always tell people to be careful what they say about another denominations doctrines and you know there's probably some doctrines in other denominations that you don't agree with that I don't agree with and but uh, or maybe you don't believe in certain doctrines but I've even heard for example uh, a well-meaning Christian say that tongues is of the devil and uh, you know to say that uh, and knowing that it is a work of the Holy Spirit that's dangerous because you you could be calling something holy evil and so uh, we have to be, be careful what we say about certain doctrines and certain beliefs that other Christians have. And, you know, I'm not saying you can't disagree with it. You can disagree with it if you like, but be careful about calling things evil. I don't agree with the, with the doctrine that says you must be water baptized or you can't go to heaven. But I'd never call it evil. And anyway, we know the word that we have 
uh, by the word that we have spiritual authority. But we don't always understand our spiritual authority or the limits of it. But one thing we have to understand is that we have to depend upon the word of God and the and the Holy Spirit to help us in ministering and executing that authority. We just can't do it by ourselves. See, you have the, you don't have that kind of authority in yourself where you can command devils and, and change things in your life and change things in your body and stuff like that. We have to have the help of the Holy Spirit. We have to have the promises in the Word of God, and that's how we have to act uh, is in cooperation with the Spirit and with the Word. And then you can have authority over some things, but it's in Jesus' authority that we have these things. So we have to make sure that we're uh, operating according to the Word of God in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, by the Spirit of God. And uh, if the devil attacks me or you, we have to understand that we do have authority over him through Christ and what Christ did through his work, not through any work that we've done. Uh, but we do have authority over our own life, and we can demand him to leave our house as well. You remember what I said? I think I even said it last Sunday. You know, my house, my rules. And, uh, you know, your house, your rules. And I don't care who comes in it. If it's your house, you get to make the rules. And they could either follow the rules or they can go get their own house and, and, and make their own rules. But let me show you something else because... I have spiritual authority over my life in, in everything all the time. I, uh, I have spiritual uh, authority over what is allowed in my house. So now just think about this a minute. Don't turn me off yet. But if my sugar gets out of whack or my blood pressure gets too high or my kidneys start acting up or my lungs ain't working the way they're supposed to be or any other organ isn't functioning the way that God created it to function, then uh, according to the word of God, I have authority over it. I can command it to come into acceptable range and operate the way that the creator designed it to function. And I know someone asked, how can you do that? I'm just going to simplify it again and say, my house, my rules, my house, my rules. And uh, I know you think that's far out, but don't throw it away. Just think about it for a while. Uh, meditate on it and uh, you know somebody might say well I'll give that a try see if it works well I can tell you right now with that attitude it's not going to work for you why because there's no faith in trying and sometimes you know we'll we'll try something because we've seen it work for somebody else or we heard somebody else say something like I was talking about the Syrophoenician woman Sunday and and blind Bartimaeus you know uh, he says, you know, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. And that's basically the same thing she said. And I believe she said it because she heard him say it. It didn't have any meaning to her where it had some meaning and spiritual depth when, when Bartimaeus said it because he was a Jew. He knew the word of God. And he knew the lineage of Christ coming through David. But if we try to act on God's word without it really being in our spirit and without us really believe in it or we haven't built it up in our spirit then the devil will defeat us every time uh you know i've said it before we have to meditate on the word uh, matter of fact the bible says meditate on it daily and uh the reason we meditate on it is to get it into our spirit to establish the beliefs in our heart uh, make it a way of life for us uh, and the bible speaks for example of satan saying we're to resist the devil steadfast 
steadfast in the faith. We're to resist the devil, steadfast in the faith, 1 Peter 5, 9. So your level of faith is directly related to the degree of God's word that's dwelling in your heart. That is the word which is a reality to you, not to somebody else, not because you heard somebody else say it or you heard somebody or saw somebody else do something. It doesn't mean it's going to work for you. It has to be in your heart. It has to be your faith. It has to be what you believe. And, you know, people have asked us to pray for them. And, and I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that God answered their prayer. You know, sometimes it was under the anointing in church and faith, the level of faith was high. They just heard a word on healing or deliverance and they come up for prayer. Or we laid hands on them and prayed for them. And I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that they were delivered, they were set free, uh, they were healed of whatever disease they had, and they left there a new person. And then you see them a week or two later and they're right back in the same boat that they were in before. And, uh, you know, did they really want to be free? Absolutely. I believe it with all my heart when they came up for prayer. They were genuine. They really wanted to, to be healed and delivered, and they received it. But it's usually because, you know, they were in a, uh, a church atmosphere. The level of faith was high. You know, the worship was high. The praise was high. And uh, having just heard the word, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And I believe that at that level, they were ready to receive something, and they did. And they walked out of that church healed. But then two weeks later, we see them, and they're right back in the same boat again. They're, they're, they're back with that addiction, or they're back with that particular person they wanted to be delivered from, or they're back with that sickness that they had. And I know the Holy Ghost touched them, and I know they had enough faith to get healed, and they did. But when these people leave a place like that and in an atmosphere like that and they get back into the world and back into their uh, daily routine and stuff, if they don't continue building themselves up with the Word of God and the promises of God and, and praying in the Spirit and, and communing with God, then they're going to wind up right back in the place where Satan can tempt them with whatever it is that they were being uh, overcome with before and get them right back into that place again. He's a specialist at that. He really, he really knows his job when it comes to that. But the devil will get you right back to where you were, and that's the reason you see people get delivered from evil spirits or sickness and addiction and a lot of other things, but the next time you see them, they're right back where they were. And a lot of times people say, well, they never got anything to begin with, but I don't believe that. I believe they were healed. I believe they were delivered. Uh, they just uh, didn't change some things, and they wound up back where they were before. In Matthew 12, 43, it says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest, and he finds none. Then he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. He'll return to the person he was cast out of. And when he is come, he finds it empty, swept, and garnished. In other words, the man's spirit is empty. I don't know how long that demon walked about in dry places but uh, however long it was the man didn't refill his life with the word of God refill his spirit with the spirit of God and when the demon come back in other words he didn't do nothing he just went back to life as usual and the demon comes back and it says in verse 45 he takes with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they enter in and dwell there 
and the last state of that man is worse than the first. In other words, instead of him being better, he's actually not only back where he was, but now he's seven times worse. And uh, I've had people ask us before, more than once actually, if a Christian could be possessed by an evil spirit. Can a Christian be possessed by a devil? Now I know for a fact they can be influenced, they can be obsessed with something, but I don't believe they can be possessed. And here's why. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. And so if this is God's temple, and we have the Holy Ghost dwelling in this temple, this temple that belongs to God, do you think the Holy Spirit is going to share this temple with the demon? I don't think so. I think he's going to give that demon a bad day. But we have authority over demons, uh, demon spirits, and the flesh. And a lot of times people confuse demons with the influence of the flesh. And uh, sometimes rather than trying to get something prayed off of you or delivered out of, it's just a matter of disciplining the flesh. And I'm going to tell you, the flesh can act just like a devil sometimes. He can act just like a demon. But that doesn't mean you're either you're being influenced, obsessed, or even possessed by a demon. Sometimes you just have to discipline the flesh, grab yourself by the collar, and straighten some things out for yourself. But when you are dealing with a demon or an influence, then you have to depend on the Spirit of God, first of all, for discernment. Because like we said, I think it was last week, talking about Paul and that, that damsel that followed him around and was uh, saying these men are from God, these men are preaching the truth, and finally he, he discerned that she was an evil spirit operating a spirit of divination, operating out of that little girl, and he turned around and cast it out, and it got him in a lot of trouble because that was the, the way these people were making a living using that little girl. But you can't be a word person without the spirit or a spirit person without the word because, number one, you have to know the authority of the word, and number two, you have to rely on the Holy Spirit if you're going to cast demons out of yourself or anybody else, a member of the family. Uh, and, and it starts with discernment. First of all, you got to know what it is that's influencing that person or influencing yourself. And uh, once you identify it, then you can cast it out by the Spirit and by the Word. So if you learn how to exercise spiritual authority like this, it'll work in your personal life. It'll work in your home. And it will work for all the things that you're responsible for as well. Jesus once told his disciples that he's going to Jerusalem to suffer many things and to be crucified. Well, that offended Peter, so he objected and he says, he says not so, Lord. And Jesus turned around and rebuked them and, and, and called them Satan. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. That's in Matthew 16, 23. And Jesus wasn't saying that Peter was Satan. He was showing Peter that he inadvertently sided with the devil. He got full of doubt and unbelief. And sometimes Christians unconsciously yield to the enemy, but we can take authority over that spirit when we do, when we realize it. And the Bible says that we also can take authority over fear, especially fear. Fear opens the door to a lot of different spirits. And, uh, and uh, Timothy, uh, Paul told Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1.7, he said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. So fear is definitely a spirit. 
And then he says, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. So power, love, and of a sound mind. Having a sound mind is also spiritual. And notice the Bible calls fear a spirit. And God has given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, but he hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And therefore, if it's not from God, we don't want it. We should be resisting it. And there were times when I had to literally rebuke fear in my life, and I had to rebuke it out loud. I had to actually speak to myself out loud. And I would actually say, I resist you in the name of Jesus. Because there were times, one example, and there's plenty of other ones. I had some examples from the service as well. And when you're in fear, you can't think right. You know, you just think erratically. You can't act right. Your adrenaline is flowing and it's clouding your judgment. And it's just not good to be in fear. And uh, the one time I can remember where I really got into fear was I climbing a ladder. I have a fear of heights. Well, I had a fear of heights. Actually, I had a fear of falling. I wasn't afraid of going up high. I like to look down from high things, but I just had a fear of falling. And I'm on this shaky ladder. And so I get... About three quarters of the way up, I was going to the third story to uh, caulk a window. I get about two thirds of the way up and I froze. I just literally froze there. I thought I was going to fall. I grabbed that ladder and I was hugging it and I literally froze. And I knew I had to do something. I either had to go up or go back down. I couldn't do neither one because I was frozen in fear. And so finally I just spoke it out. I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you, that fear left me. I didn't come down. I went back up. I did the job I was uh, intending to do, and then I climbed down. And, uh, and I never had fear of climbing a ladder again. Uh, and I've done that with flying and planes and other things as well. It actually works. You know, I have authority over the fear in my life, and I took authority over it, and it left. So I'm just telling you something I know for a fact that works. Uh, I don't know what, our, what your fears might be. Maybe you're fearless. But every normal person has to deal with fear at one time or another. I can promise you that. Uh, but like I said, there's times I had to actually rebuke it out loud. And I know for somebody that would be listening, they, they'd probably think I was being crazy or something. But uh, another Christian would understand what I was doing. But God tells us to rebuke the enemy over ourselves. And in James 4, 7, we're told, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so sometimes you have to do that out loud. Sometimes you have to stomp your foot and physically say, I resist you in the name of Jesus. Get out of here. Get out of my life. Stop doing this. I cease and desist. And just tell him and take authority over what he's doing because that's your responsibility. And if we'll resist the devil, then he will flee from us or the Bible is a lie. And I believe the Bible. If it says resist the devil and he'll flee from you, the Amplified actually says he'll flee in terror from you. He'll be, in, he'll be terrified of you. Well, not you, but the authority behind you. He'll be terrified of Christ. Uh, and the Bible doesn't say get somebody else to resist the devil. It says you resist the devil and he will flee. And there's uh, too many of us sit idly by and we try to pray things off and we try to put the responsibility off on Jesus. And Jesus is... If you could hear him in an audible voice, he's going to tell you that, no, I gave you the authority to do that. You rebuke him yourself. You, you stand against this thing yourself. You have the authority through me. And, uh, you know, he even told Paul, you know, that, you know, when Paul was uh, prayed three times and had this 
devil that was buffeting him. And uh, Jesus told him, no, I ain't doing nothing about it. My grace is sufficient enough for you. In other words, the power in me that I gave to you is sufficient for you to deal with it yourself. You know, you rebuke that devil. You cast it off. And, and so that's the way it is with us today. Christ gave us the authority. And he expects us to walk it out and take authority over things. And uh, I've learned this over my days on this earth is conditions exist. Adverse conditions exist as well as good things. But adverse conditions exist because we allow them to and we permit them to. And uh, sometimes we just cast it off as this is the hand I was dealt or it's just bad luck. I just have to deal with it. I just have to live with it. And God doesn't want us doing that. He wants us to take authority over these things and, and cast them out. Matthew 18, 18 says this, and I'll be closing here in about 30 seconds. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. In other words, whatever you take authority over on this earth will be something that's been taken authority over in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now that was the King James Version, but I read another translation once, and I forgot to type, write it down here what it was, but it said this, Whatsoever things you refuse to be permitted on earth will be refused to be permitted in heaven. So in other words, when we're cooperating with the Word and the Spirit, and we're exercising our authority that we have through Christ, then we have heaven backing us. Now, I'm not saying heaven's going to back some of your crazy ideas and things that are outside of the word, but you have to be operating within the uh, parameters of the word and with the assistance of the Holy Spirit because he's the one that's going to be binding. He's the one that's going to be casting out, but he has to do it at your word, and your word has to be in line with the, the word of God or the Bible. But in any case, God wants you exercising the authority he's given you over yourself, over your life, and over everyone and everything that you're responsible for. I'm sure about that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. Thank you that the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we pray for is coming upon us in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you're showing us the height, the depth, the width, the, uh, uh, the size of Christ's love, and that we're going to have an understanding of his love like we never had before. And Lord, we know that you are the healer. You're the great physician. And we ask you, God, to touch and heal each and every one within the sound of our voice. Touch and heal each and every one's loved ones and everyone that they love and are dear to them. And we ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, to go forth in the, uh, by the Spirit and begin to uh, speak to people's lives. God, we lift the blinders tonight, right now, in the name of Jesus. We lift the blinders. We bind, we, we bind the spirit of confusion right now in the name of Jesus. And we declare and decree that the blinders of those that are lost, the family members that we know and love that are lost in our families, God, we ask that the blinders be lifted from their eyes so that the light of the gospel can shine through. And Lord, they'll see their need for a Savior, recognize that Savior to be the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will accept him and they'll come into the kingdom of God. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. We thank you and praise you, Lord. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday, uh, 1030 in service, 11 o'clock on Facebook Live. God bless.
This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.